Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the unexpected port key to the ominous graveyard of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are using the extra time from this short chapter to tend to our emotional trauma. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? More shocked than I thought I would be. I knew it was going to be a seven-page chapter, and I saw that title and that image, but I'll be honest, children's story caught me off guard. Yep. I mean, we're getting into tween teenager story. It, it's not... Fine. Young you know, adult tale up, caught me off but guard. yes. Um, yeah. So there are some surprises. I, so I will say that this is the spoiler that I got, like two or three chapters ago when I was looking at the Triwizard Tournament information. Yeah, when I was sure. looking up, literally just looking up what years were the Triwizard Tournament, and, like, the top of the article was, like, in 1994 or 7 or whatever year this takes place, the one where Cedric Diggory dies. And I was just like, <laughs> Jesus! Why would you write an article like this? This is... I really okay. Thank you. I mean, sometimes these kind of like spoilers you get from these wikis are forgivable. Like if a character is deceased, they're going to mark him deceased regardless of what point you are in the mm-hmm. story. It's fine. Sure. But when you open an article for a different topic with this event where this guy dies, that just seems like you're intentionally trying to spoil. Yeah. I mean, like it had to be part of like the Wikipedia article, but you know, maybe not. Maybe like you have notable events somewhere else or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it also does sort of pretty yeah, aggressive. Does sort of answer the question why there weren't more in the series. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we are here on chapter thirty-two of the fourth book of Harry right. Potter: Flesh, Blood, and Bone. And the one where Cedric Diggory the dies. The one where Cedric Diggory <laughs> dies. Yeah, that's in the itty itty bitty parentheses under there. I don't know if you can see that. Um, mm, mm. So we have some segments that we do here. We have a real rapid-fire recap this time around. Um, we have BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award, we award house points, and then there are uh, questions and queries and qualms and quibbles, none of which could provoke any silence about spoilers from me at all, so <laughs> we'll just move right along. Uh, well, Sarah, looking back through past past bets that you've done before, almost every time you failed your bet, it was a short chapter. It's the short chapters that are really hard to predict. Yes. Because there's any range that you could pick to guess for how long you could take to do this one. Yeah, yes. Um, and it needs to be over a minute and a half. You didn't tell, you know, you said a minute the last time was the DQ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even a minute may be a challenge here. It's a seven-page chapter. We are playing by the rules, damn it. <laughs> you will not you will not turn the Triwizard Cup into a port key for me and transport me into somewhere else. That's another task that no one told me about. Um, so, I mean, uh, this is, for our listeners who are unaware, this is a seven-page chapter with exactly one scene, and it is, it is tight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I have... You've got a cushion already. I have a cushion, and I have been somewhat, not abusing because it is a rule and I'm just playing by it, but I have, Mm -hmm. I think, been perhaps overusing the rule whereby 
I'm probably better off to just try to come as far under the two minutes as possible. So I'm going to challenge myself on this chapter. I'm going to try a bet. Okay. I am going to place my bet at one minute and 20 seconds. Solid. Okay. It is written down. Stopwatch is ready and the battery amazingly still works. I'm going to try to actually pay attention (laughs) to the stopwatch and see what needs to happen in real time. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Harry and Cedric slam into the ground in an old graveyard well away from Hogwarts grounds, assuming that they've been port-keyed to another part of the task. They're already on guard when they see someone coming through the shadows seeming to hold a swaddled figure. When the stranger stops by a huge headstone, Harry's scar explodes in pain and he hears a voice say, kill the spare. Someone casts Avada Kedavra and in a blast of green light, Cedric is dead. Harry's numb with disbelief, even as he's tethered to a headstone that he he just has time to recognize says Tom Riddle. The man who's tied him? Wormtail. Wormtail doesn't speak, but is busy gagging Harry, although that doesn't stop him being able to see Cedric's body, the Triwizard Cup, and the swaddled something laying on the ground. Wormtail hauls in a massive stone cauldron and lights a fire beneath it. The voice from the blankets insists that he hurry. When it's ready, Wormtail unwraps the thing, a monstrous, scaly, snake-like baby. Wormtail tips the thing into the cauldron. Harry prays fervently that it drowns. And then Wormtail begins the incantation and the ingredient collection. For bone of the father unknowingly given, he pulls dust from the grave beneath Harry's feet. For flesh of the servant willingly given, he slices off his own hand into the brew. For blood of the enemy forcibly taken, he cuts into Harry's arm. For everything in the cauldron, Wormtail collapses and cradles his bloody stump, and, keep, and Harry keeps up his silent entreaty that the thing have drowned, that it have gone wrong. Instead, out of the billowing steam of the cauldron emerges Voldemort. Uh, you made it. There might have been some, some, some slowing down as we got towards <laughs> the end of it. Still uh, there's also a, a little bit of a slow reaction time, but uh, <laughs> I think it still would have been over pass. the 115, but just just barely. Y- y- you were over. I was just like, yeah, I guess that is the end. Okay, that really is, done. That really is the chapter. Um, and I would yep. like kind of to what you both were saying at the very beginning of this podcast. Like this is the turning point of you know a kind of of the overall plot of what's going on with Voldemort. Obviously, like Voldemort is is back but it's also i think like this chapter specifically is the turning point of the series where we go from kids books to like firmly young adult mm-hmm. yeah and in shocking um, fashion to boot yeah yeah this was like in the in the realm of people going at midnight to buy the harry potter book as soon as it came out and reading through the night to get to be the first of their friends to finish it like tears were flowing at 6:30 in the morning <laughs> when this happened like it was legitimately shocking um so bj what are you wheezing about um i have a couple of things we have we have a couple of of fun fun readings for our listeners to do oh boy um, Sarah, do you want to go first or second? <laughs> first or second? Uh, I'll dealer's choice, BJ. You just let me know. Um, I'm going to have you go first because you'll really like the punctuation that we have here. Okay. Um, so it, it's the uh, paragraph that starts, um, and then without warning, Harry's scar exploded with pain. Uh-huh. I'd like you to go for that. The sentence afterwards. Just let us know what punctuation you happen to come across. It was agony such as he had never felt in all his life, semicolon. His wand slipped from his fingers as he put his hands over his face, semicolon. His knees buckled, semicolon. He was on the ground and he could see nothing at all, semicolon. His head was about to split open, period. A four semicolon sentence. This, this, This is a unique 
unique one that we've had <laughs> in the world. Yeah, that's that's rough. <laughs> I'm I, this, this chapter is, was rough for many reasons, but <laughs> this is one that I am honestly not sure why these are not individual sentences. Right. Individual sentences probably improved the, you know, the stopping and starting that you want the reader to have in rapid succession. Yes. Yes, I would say so. Um, Spencer, I'm going to have you do the paragraph sentence that is shortly thereafter with a blast of green light. Uh, Okay, the one begins a blast of green light. Mm Mm-hmm. A blast of green light blazed through Harry's eyelids, comma, and he heard something fall, heavy fall to the ground beside him, semicolon. The pain in his scar reached such a pitch that he retched, comma, and then it diminished, semicolon. Terrified of what he was about to see, comma, he opened his stinging eyes, period. Yeah. I mean, you know, not not a not as bad an offender, but uh, but we're back to the uh, sentence paragraphs again, which are always fun. Well, listen, we um, are are in a like high stress situation. This is when we are in said situations, punctuation goes to shit. Sure. <laughs> Find um, a way for the sentences to flow. <laughs> so, um, We've dealt with in the past that J.K. Rowling doesn't seem to uh, have really interacted with things in our world um, as like a normal person. (laughs) Go on. And I'm really curious what visual comes to mind when you think of sparking water and how diamond-like it is. Because we get a couple of references to the diamond-like nature of water <laughs> and the sparking therein that I, I just, I because it's sparkly? Is this really what we're doing? It's sparking and diamonds are sparkly and so that's what we're going to say? I was discussing with uh, Brit- my girlfriend Bridget after the end of this chapter, like, what happened in it and I came to what the cauldron looked like. And I said, like, eight contrary things at the same time. (laughs) I don't truly know what this cauldron looks like, but it's an image. So we have, the whole surface of the water was alight with sparks now. It might have been encrusted with diamonds. Weird, but okay. Then later we get the diamond surface of the water broke and hissed. It sent sparks in all directions and turned a vivid, poisonous-looking blue. Mm Mm-hmm. They're words, <laughs> but they don't conjure like a sensible image in my head, which is what my presumption is that there's, the words on the page are supposed to be doing. <laughs> the spell's unmaking reality, BJ. Just go with the flow. Maybe, they, maybe it is actually trying to capture the, the exact affect and sense of the unknowable quality of what is going on here. Like we are in Harry's head. He doesn't know what's going on. We are, we are, I'm really grasping here. I'm not sure. Well, he, the man, the man just saw a close friend, close friend ish die in front of him. He's bleeding out from at least two injuries. You're, you're, you're grasping at ideas like, you know, water falling through your fingers, like cascading <laughs> diamonds, apparently. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Um, we do get one third one, which is the cauldron was sim- simmering, sending its diamond sparks in all directions. I'm, I'm so diamonds. blindingly bright that it turned all else to velvety blackness. And my favorite thing about this is I don't think she knows what magnesium is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or at least her listener base wouldn't be able to picture it if she used that descriptor. I mean, but, like, sparklers are a thing, so we're, you know, sparklers, and uh, anyway, there, there are all sorts of things. I just don't know, but I... I mean, supposedly we have in the Wikipedia that, that J.K. Rowling, like, went to school in England amongst, <laughs> like, flesh and blood humans, but but this lizard person theory, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so, fair enough. I don't, so, yeah. So, now that we have uh, Voldemort and his description of his, like, lizard-like slits you know, or snake light slits instead of a nose. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think this is maybe why we're, we're talking about all these people with uh, straight noses previously? <laughs> like this obsession with noses is, is a foreshadow? Possibly. Spencer, or, you can take one of your little um, pins with the red strings on it from BJ references to things you didn't understand. You can take it off the wall now because everything <laughs> he was saying about noses was leading uh, up to... The noseless Voldemort that we get. Had no way to know that that was coming, but I'm happy to probably remove one from this collage of colors. Um, but also, is the description of Voldemort this way because this is the most unattractive thing that she can think of? It is. Like, you know, basically Very clearly. a nose that doesn't Very exist. clearly, yes. For a person Any nose profound... at all is better for her. Yeah, for a person with a profound nose fetish, the absence is the worst. Yes. Oh, and there's something very Freudian in that, too, that I don't want to ponder. Oh, God. <laughs> You've opened well, the door speaking of there. Freudian, uh, <laughs> Cedric suggesting to Harry that they go wands out was a really funny... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they died wands out. <sighs> Ready for anything. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to turn it over to some newbies' notes. Uh, I wonder what you got this time. Oh, things. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as said... That there's a chapter. That was well-structured. That was tense. The pacing was excellent. The builds was surprising. Kudos. I mean, I, 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 that was, this is one of the more... It wouldn't be my favorite chapter in any sense, but it's one of the more effectively structured and built chapters that she's ever done in this series. And it's something that happens, I think, more often in, I'm going to say, modern sci-fi and fantasy where deaths don't get fanfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just mm-hmm. happen purposefully so yeah uh and, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second it's such an effective just build from the start of where they arrive and then they look up and you realize oh shit is that riddle house on that hill okay wands out oh god it's a graveyard there's gravestones everywhere you can picture the you can picture the fog rolling in there's a cloaked figure silently walking towards them carrying a swaddled babe i love the word swaddled by the way sarah kudos uh just out a word approaching them and then just Kill the Spare is such an effective villain line. I gotta give that one credit. Just because of how indifferent it is. How casual. There's no element of caring associated with it. It's an interference that's being removed. And it's makes for a very, as you know, a very abrupt, shocking death in a way you don't necessarily anticipate in this kind of fantasy fiction. It's getting much more common nowadays, but it reminds me of why there aren't, like, say, guns in most fantasy fiction. Or when there are, they're purposely brought in there for the purpose of moments like this, of where you're denying the person the opportunity of a heroic death. You're denying the person the opportunity to say goodbye. It's Terry Pratchett putting, it in, putting a gun in men at arms. It's almost a demonic influence in what's meant to be a well-ordered reality that you're putting in there. 
and the effect of this spell. I had never really pondered it before, how terrifying the spells can really be in this setting. We've joked how, you know, oh dear god, the fact they mess around with that, whatever else. But to actually have power word death be used like this just suddenly gives you a level of fearfulness about magic in this world I didn't really have before. And Harry gets no opportunity to even process it. It is just action, body, open-eyed corpse, open, open corpse staring. That's all we get out of it. And it's very effectively, shockingly played out. And the tension just doesn't stop from there. I mean, Harry's immediately then tied to Tom Riddle's gravestone, which is a surprisingly scary use of just two words right there. <laughs> uh, the cauldron, which is properly out of Macbeth, is hauled into the scene. The snake appears. It coils around the thing in the robes. Dear God, the thing. We realize this basically demon baby Voldemort is there just... I. This is one of the things where uh, a movie can almost even more effectively set up the scene, where I can only imagine the mules they could have coming out of that thing in the moment. Uh, and then a spell. A proper witch's spell in a way we've ever, never yet seen before in this series. Mm -hmm. No throwing out funny words in Latin or Greek. No waving around wands. This is sacrifice and blood and demonic ritual coming to fruition. And it is tense and effective in all kinds of ancient lore and Shakespeare you want to bring to bear. <laughs> and then Voldemort himself emerging is so wonderfully vampiric. There's no sound, there's no noise, there's no, you know, boost of just diamond shower that comes out of the pot, whatever else. It's just an undead, pale white corpse arising and then approaching and then looming. And the scene cuts. I'm mostly just describing here because it was just very effectively built throughout all of this. It was meant to be the dramatic moment of the series that we've been coming to for several books, and it effectively nailed it. So, yeah, I I am very much impressed in J.K. Rowling in a way I almost feel bad for constantly mocking her. <laughs> oh, you're not the one constantly mocking her, Spencer, let's be clear. <laughs> I'm complicit. <laughs> I mean, so one good chapter out of a hundred, you know... Oh, is... stop. <laughs> But it's, it's, also, it's also notable that we've talked before about the end of these books. She has a tendency to do 58, 50, 60 page chapters, just throw everything at you in a single mm -hmm. way. How mm -hmm. much more effective was this chapter that it was seven pages? Yeah. Yeah. No, no more buildup, no follow up of what Voldemort does next. It's like, this is the purpose of this scene. It's done. It's out. Good night, Timmy. We'll breed more tomorrow. Yeah. Speaking of the chapters that leave your kids <laughs> on edge. Yes. <laughs> Um, um, th I, I wonder if there was a reasonable amount of backlash with this book because there wasn't a lot of foreshadowing that this would happen and I would bet Dallas Jonas there were a lot of children that were not well prepared mm -hmm. and also much younger audience this is our first real death I mean like on screen yeah. character we know major character not, not creature death other people have died before, but it's usually been off-camera or implied or non-human. Mm -hmm. This is straight-up guy we know who is in many ways the most heroic mold of any character we have in this series, dying without a word or an opportunity to say goodbye. Yeah, I was thinking about this today while I was doing my notes. I was wondering about, you know, to your point, BJ, kids being read this book much younger mm -hmm. than I think this book is actually now intended for. Um, sure. Because yeah. the other books w were reasonably fine for pretty young audiences. And then you all yeah. of a sudden get this one. And I was trying to figure out if 
in the context of a parent reading this book to, let's say, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, is it is it easier or harder that this death is senseless and not built up to at all, just in terms of, like, the kid processing what is going on? Yeah. I think it's harder, just because the book's not giving so. you a... It's not giving you a path to unpack this. Mm-hmm. It's not telling it you what to feel. Harder as an adult to do, like to be reading it to a child. But I, I can also imagine a child just being like, "Okay, that's a thing that happened," and like not not picking up that 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 this is so terrible and senseless and out of place. Um, but I guess it sort of depends on the child. And this is one of the things that I was thinking of because. Um, a friend of my mother's granddaughter has read this series many times. Mm-hmm. And I think she's like seven-ish, give or take. And I'm just like, that's that's a little young for this. I mean, maybe she's precocious, but like that's... Yeah. that's uh, I'm not sure reading this alone and not having a conversation with your parents is mm-hmm. a reasonable thing to be doing with these books. I mean, I know that there are other things later... I didn't know that this was so soon, but... It's, it's almost one of those things where you wonder, if, is it partly a, such a short chapter because the parents now need time before the kid goes to, goes to bed to explain the concept of death in a way they may not have explored before? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good question. And things don't, you know, we are at a point in the books now where each of the books after this certainly has other, like, very difficult um, scenes and ideas for kids for kids to deal with. And I just, I'm, you know, I wonder, God help the parents of the seven-year-olds out there who are trying to explain these things. is not, is not shying away from it. Um, but I did think that it was like, it was such an interesting move to make this death so fast. Um, mm-hmm. So realistic. And yeah, and so unexplainable because like the reality of the situation and what Voldemort is and what his followers are is that like death, they, they kill people. Like, death happens and it's it's done so i also kind of wonder too if like the fact that up to this point everything has been healable and up to this point we have never really seen anything irrevocable in the magical world i mean more you know around the margins sure and we've got the whole professor quarrel thing that we've talked about ad nauseum before but on screen um i also wonder how many kids read this or get read this and like fundamentally do not believe that Cedric is dead. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you even time to know yet. You and see... Harry doesn't have time yeah. to know. I mean, he knows it, but he can't process it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the text even just feels the need to tell us that Cedric was lying spread eagled on the ground beside him. He was dead. Yeah. Just, that, that's all we get. We don't mm-hmm. know whether that's, as you've noted, Sarah, we've felt like all all prior crimes, all prior pains were reversible. Except this one just places such a period on it, you're left with the thought of, oh god, this may not be something we can walk back. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, we've had this, like, spiral inwards of, like, irreversible things happening to sort of closer and closer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is sort of, like, the first time that it's really front and center. Mm-hmm. Um and a little like I guess a little bit surprising that it wasn't while Harry was passed out because there was that option yeah and that's how it's been done before I mean book one when Quirrell dies he essentially dies off camera because Harry falls asleep at a key moment 
We don't get to see him either come apart due to the power of the magic or Dumbledore just straight up murder him. Um, here, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I think it's important that it's done this way just because Voldemort's back. Mm-hmm. Death is walking the world again. We yeah, need to understand what that means. It's important mm-hmm. that Harry is a witness for this. Um, yeah. Although we will learn much more about that later as well and the implications of that. Particularly since he's even alchemically a cause of this. He's mm-hmm. a necessary component of the summon to summon of the of the ritual to summon evil back into the world. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sarah, who the hell wins and loses this chapter? I have a well, guess on I loser. Think we have a, a winner. Yeah, we have four characters in this chapter. Just yeah. four. No more, no less. Uh, we have one winner, and then T- we have <laughs> Talk me through the four options, though. you, you, you got to justify them, too. <laughs> okay, so we have Harry and Cedric. Okay, Cedric okay. are part of this journey that we're <laughs> on. Um, we have Wormtail, and we, of course, finally have, have Voldemort at the end of this. I think that we, we can firmly declare Voldemort the winner of this chapter. <laughs> He's back. to the living. He has a body. Yeah, I mean, He's... there are two characters that, that end, uh, starting to end the chapter and slight and... Similar but opposite positions. Yes. Um, and actually, we kind of have Harry and, and Wormtail firmly occupying the middle. If you're just thinking about their physical well-being in, um, over the course of this chapter. So, Voldemort, winner. I think the natural inclination for me is, that, is, is to name Cedric the loser because it was so, his death was so senseless. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard not to... It's hard not to talk about Harry in this moment, though. But it's also... So it's difficult because, like, I think that we can probably see that Harry is going to be severely fucked up by this whole... Whatever happens in the rest of this book and these chapters, this Mm -hmm. is going to fuck him up, right? Yeah. Um, He has just watched his friend and competitor die purportedly because he insisted that they grab the Triwizard Cup together in front of him possibly specifically because Harry needed to be there. Like, there are all of these things that you know are going to bubble up uh, in the in the diamond water, sparking diamond water of his guilt <laughs> going forward. The, um, survivor's guilt's just waiting to happen when it comes to this scenario. But, you know, yeah. I think that the reality of Harry's position in this chapter, and we alluded to it, to it earlier in the importance of him being awake and conscious to watch Cedric's death, his the point of him in this chapter is as a witness. Um, yeah. So I don't both to Cedric's death and to Voldemort's return. All of that sucks for him, but I don't think that he is actually a part of this chapter enough to name him loser. Mm-hmm. Although the ramifications of what happens in this chapter are going to continue to kind of echo well into the future. Uh, Wormtail lost his hand. <laughs> By his right. own hand, which sucks, but I mean, he's just doing his thing. Like you can imagine that he'll be something will happen with him later. He did not have a great day, but by no means was he the, he the loser of this chapter. So I, I mean, or he had a great day, or he had a you great know, day. He's brought back Voldemort. Like yes, he's sort of done the thing that all of these other dark wizards mm-hmm. that, or at least presumably dark wizards, have been trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is like the, he's set up for uh, Vice Death Eater or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, if, if Voldemort wins, and Voldemort is at all a reasonable actor when it comes to his loyal followers, 
<laughs> Which this we have no, gave... no evidence to suggest that he is, but... None. But this man gave of himself in a way that nobody else has for the sake of your return. Yes. I mean, he can't be Voldemort's right-hand man after this, so... Well, he needs to at least give him a hand. Um, yeah, we, we might have a He's... very Star Wars-y situation going on here. I mean, going forward. something sinister going on. Yeah. Um, so... So I think it's got to be Voldemort and Cedric for my money. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that tracks. Questions? Uh, I've got one. We saw Tom Riddle, like Tom Riddle Jr., I suppose. Mm-hmm. We saw what he looked like. Seemed mm-hmm. like a pretty normal-ish human. Mm-hmm. This description is of a scarlet-eyed, snake-nosed, vampiric monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Is this the way that Voldemort looked before his, un- his, you know, untimely demise when confronting Harry? Or is this something new? Um, so he looked, he had some, he had some of this. He had a, a great deal of this look about him um, for reasons that are spoilery. Gotcha. So this isn't just some new came back wrong or a result of the spell kind of persona. No, not entirely. I think it might be hyped up because this is entirely unnatural in the world sure. and it's entirely unnatural mm-hmm. in the wizarding world too like this is super <laughs> which which makes it so fascinating to watch play out yeah this this, def- this defies all the rules we've previously seen for how magic works mm-hmm. um but he did have if if i'm remembering correctly he had a lot of this already going on um before and we will we will learn more about why that might be later is this somehow related to some of the OG Slytherin and Parseltongue stuff? And I know you can't answer that. I but, can't answer that. Um, and so I actually had a, some number of questions uh, associated with what Spencer alluded to is the magic that we see here, mm-hmm. which is, is, and I sort of hate to do this, but like, is this a thing in the world? Like, it, or is this magic that we actually see happen again like is is this like a portion of the magic in the world or is this like we're going with something completely different because Voldemort has to come back but like do other people practice magic like this or I mean even if it's like evil magic right Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that like Voldemort's the only evil magic practitioner that like ever happens in the world and so that this is a departure is is interesting if this is what evil magic looks like. You know, sort of the really classic, you know, uh, blood rites stuff. But a lot less interesting if this was just a cool scene to get Voldemort back. So we don't we don't see a lot of this going forward. But I think that to your kind of larger question, this is the type of magic that is like completely taboo. It is it is kind of known, but and it's completely taboo. Much more so than like. Because the unforgivable curses are known and people use them. This is so far outside the pale that nobody even really suspected that it would happen or -hmm. could happen. Um, Mm -hmm. I am going to give one spoiler. We learn about it in the next, in the very next chapter. So it's not like a huge deal, but it, it does relate to this question is, you know, you will, I think we'll see this referred to a lot um, as sort of quote unquote old magic which okay. is exactly yeah. how the protection that um, Lily Potter's love gave to Harry, that's how that was described as well. And so the right. the spoiler here is that Voldemort 
technically could have done this with any enemy. The blood of the enemy unwillingly or forcibly taken. Mm -hmm. That could have been any one of his enemies. He has thousands of them, right? It it could have been any one of them. He specifically chose Harry because he believes that that protection is sort of circulating in Harry's blood and he wants Mm -hmm. to rebuild himself with that protection as well. Gotcha. Um, which is why we had those scenes that um, in the scenes in, I think, the dream as well as at the very, be- well, they were both dreams. The prologue as well yeah. as the dream chapter we had a couple of chapters ago where um, Wormtail is essentially saying, like, we can just get somebody else. And Voldemort right. is saying, no, it has to be him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so is that the going thinking of the spare or is the spare just like somebody else came through I mean, because, like, given who Cedric Diggory is, like, it might be a reasonable, like, you want somebody who's really an enemy of Voldemort Mm -hmm. rather than just, like, well, we all hate Voldemort because he's Voldemort. Yeah, I think, honestly, the line kill the spare is such a good line, but the Mm -hmm. spare is probably not an accurate word to use there because he wasn't supposed to come through at all. Harry was supposed to be the one to touch the Triwizard Cup by himself um, and then just end up in this graveyard. This is like the worst Bond villain (laughs) machination to ever happen. It's just like, because we clearly didn't want Harry to die. No, but it further explains why Crumb ended up doing what he did to our other two competitors in the last one so that nobody else would be left behind to touch the cup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like th- th- this was set up. All, all all of the players that are still loyal to Voldemort have been putting this in motion in a way that feels unnecessarily bizarre and labyrinthine. But you you can see the threads now in retrospective. Oh, this was how each of these went in motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so still weird. It is it still, is clear oh, that there was the, the the plot was to get Harry to mm-hmm. the third task, the Triwizard Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, it's it's fun. So you... did no one. So we know who made this a port key, or do port keys not always just happen? Because it essentially has to be the last person to touch the cup, mm-hmm. and everybody knows who that is, and they should be dead now. Like, everybody watched this happen in the equivalent of broad daylight. The man went on trial before and still got off to do a jury of his peers. <laughs> yeah, Dumbledore doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> And probably neither does Snape, honestly. Like, if I, if I were to put the, 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 the gun in somebody's hand right now, Snape would be pretty high up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of all... So, I guess it's interesting because there are a lot of questions of, like, how so many other things work mm-hmm. and uh, happen. Like, Dumbledore seems to know a lot about magical items... Moody seems to be able to discern them with his magic eye, but, like, certain things seem to fly weirdly under the radar. Um, So I guess we'll have to see, or my presumption is we won't see, and this is just a thing in the world that we have to accept. Um, So there there is an explanation of how these, as Spencer put it, labyrinthine machinations came to pass. Um, yeah. Whether you will find it satisfying, BJ, whomst among us can say. <laughs> oh, we are all are near the answer to that. 
But they're, they're like two exactly these questions that you are asking, like about wasn't it the last? Couldn't it, didn't it have to be the last person who touched the Triwizard Cup who turned it into yeah. a porky? Like we do, we get answers to all of those questions. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, Crouch is still the unknowable factor at this point. Of where we don't, other than just to remove a possible guy who'd always be aware of what's going on, but even that feels kind of weird and cheap why they focused on him and why he disappeared on grounds and any of that. We don't have the thread on that yet. I don't think yet. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how that links in. So one last broad question um, and about magic, which is sort of, we get this very weird rubber banding of like what power needs to go into spells for them to happen. Um, and we have a little bit before with Moody being like, you can throw this at me all you want. Like, it's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. But we also get that, like, they shouldn't be tossing these around willy-nilly. So, like, what, like, can pretty much every wizard cast Abracadabra and kill people? Like, is that a Navada Kavadra? (laughs) I don't know. That. No, No. Okay. No, and we, and it's, it is a little unclear. The The line gets blurry sometimes within the book, and in, we will see scenes where this is blurry, about whether it's specifically the power of the wizard, whether it's their willingness to actually use it, even if they are, mm-hmm. even if they are purportedly casting it. If you're not actually ready to kill, like if you're not capable as like a human of killing someone, then it, yeah. it won't work. Um, there is an intent and coldness and calculation. And I think, you know, we know that Voldemort is like a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Right. Quite apart from anything else. He has no thoughts or feelings. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's not a problem for him. It's interesting. So, to, it, well, just, just on that note, we previously in retrospect now saw Voldemort kill, I think it was Frank, the grounds guy, the, the very first one using mm-hmm. vodka or whatever he used. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see it be worm... I, I always want to say worm tongue. It's worm tail. Yes. Worm tail. Yeah. Do it here. Mm-hmm. Where previously he's been kind of a pathetic figure, a laughable mm-hmm. villain, the lackey that you never take seriously. It's a very common mm-hmm. trope. Mm-hmm. So seeing him, he, seeing him summon the hate necessary to wield this unforgivable curse and casually be our first murderer in this story that we see front and center, such an interesting twist and subversion of this character that we previously knew was responsible for lots of deaths, but we never fully accepted is anything other than just an ineffectual villain. And right. I would say and that he has not... We don't have any evidence that... And we don't get any... We don't have any evidence that he has summoned hate to be able to kill Cedric. I would argue that it is, like, his... The extent to which he is beholden to Voldemort that mm-hmm. clears any barriers that he might have ah. to do these things. Um, which but I know also, is a little bit squidgy, but, like... He's essentially in a situation where he has to do this. He's he has so to beholden. Do this. Yeah. But we also know that he's like awful and sniffling and whatever, but a reasonably powerful wizard in his own right yeah. because like he's one of the shape changers. Animagus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Animagus. And so mm-hmm. like there are a lot of so- like mm-hmm. it kind of doesn't make sense that he's the uh, like runt of the litter that that's sniffling with Voldemort. Like I assume, hopefully, we'll get some backstory to that. But like he clearly ran in a group that of the powerful wizards in the school that Snape wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, like, it's a very weird, like, I don't know, two-sided coin that we're trying to deal with with um, with Wormtail. Because, like, it's he was the bully in in high school, basically. And then now he's, like, this cowering, sn- sniveling, you know, lackey, which I guess is sort of the, like, bullies are weak trope to an, a certain extent. But, like, we have strong evidence that he's an incredible, power- powerful wizard, before all this happens. But he was also, um, like, with, like, the lowest of... I mean, he was a lackey to James and Sirius and... Uh, yeah, but Lupin I mean... Well. Like the, I mean, he wasn't really on their level. I mean, but that's like... I don't know. I guess I imagine it more like he's the bronze medalist or the four, Like, the dude that came in fourth at the Olympics. Like, yeah, he's he's not Usain Bolt, but, like, he's better than <laughs> basically everybody else. Sure. The thing that... I mean, I can work through why he is the way he is, both in terms of spending the last decade or so as a mouse. Probably wasn't a rat. It wasn't probably wasn't that great. And the act of constantly hiding who you are, but also just who he's chained himself to. There's implications about what effect that could have on a person, and just the level of seemingly constant fear that's built into this character that we see him interacting with Voldemort. That yeah. I all can process how what effect that could have in twisting this individual even further from wherever he started. What I don't think we've ever really gotten enough of a hint of in my mind is why he started. Yeah. Is that I, I, characters have constantly basically just asked him why, but we've never really ever gotten what was the beginning of the Path of Darkness. What sent him off these impish bully group that he was with to instead being a willful murderer. Mm-hmm. I bet it was the promise of power and being envious of the friends that basically had him around as... I guess we'll have him around, kind of like um, the tagalog. Oh, yeah, what's his name? Mm-hmm. So Neville. Yeah, I mean, I bet, like he. If Neville goes evil, like I, I, I can <laughs> easily see this is the path that he would take. Where you know we have what I mean, she's gonna like J.K. Rowling's gonna have to pull out a lot of character growth here, but like presumably the powerful wizards of the generation with Harry, Hermione, and Ron, mm-hmm. which. No indication there yet, but um, that that if Neville just sort of gets bundled up into the group without like doing something useful ever, but like wanting to be like them, mm-hmm. I can see like that being a plot point for for him to like for him to turn back. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they want to do classical sins, envy is certainly one that always factors in here. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was some lust too. I mean. <laughs> We're not, we haven't gone that young adult yet. Give us time. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> well, this was a very memorable well, chapter. That's where the Wormtail n- appellation. Oh, oh God. Moving on. What's the next one? <laughs> okay. So uh, next time we have chapter 33, The Death Eaters. Oh, okay. It's a party. It's, it is a party, Spencer. <laughs> it's All right. a very specific type of party. <laughs> I mean, basically... And so the... the we know that somebody has uh, the the call for this bat signal. Yes, we do. All right. We'll see what happens. See how what that RSVP is. Oh, BJ, I think you have your, your explanation then for what the cauldron is. They're setting punch for the party. Oh boy, mm-hmm. that's some that's some weird pot liquor. It's already been sparked. <laughs> how else are you gonna grok Voldemort? Okay, so this has been fun, Until guys. Next time, yeah. <laughs>